Welcome to another installment of Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. This is the channel that compares what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. So one of the texts that we often go to here at Fighting for the Faith is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, talking about a time coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. They'll turn away from the truth and wander off into myths after gathering to themselves teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want want to hear. And I would note that televangelists like Kenneth Copeland, Jesse Duplantis, uh, Terry Savelle, uh, Benny Hinn, and others, it, it really exemplify uh, the fulfillment of that particular prophecy. But what we're going to listen to today, we're going to listen to Kathy Duplantis, the wife of Jesse Duplantis, as she's preaching a sermon. And, and what we're going to note is just how surfacey and trivial the way she handles Scripture is. And, and so she ends up trivial, trivializing, that's the word, trivializing things that we ought not to trivialize, including Satan's mission and things like this. So, um, and those of you in my comments in recent videos have noted that uh, I'm I'm doing a lot more Bible teaching and a, and a little less. Uh, of, of, of playing the heretics. That's for my own sanity, by the way. Uh, the, that won't always be every episode of Fighting for the Faith, but let me just tell you, for this episode of Fighting for the Faith, we got a lot of texts to look at today. And we're going to look at them sober-mindedly so that we don't fall into the trap of trivializing what what we find ourselves in, the actual situation that we're in, who our enemy is, and recognize exactly why the scriptures are written and uh, and things like this. So let, let me do this. I'm going to whirl up the desktop, still one of my favorite photos, and we are going to... <clears throat> Hang on a second here. I need to stretch because <laughs> this is going to be a stretch. That is Kathy Duplantis, uh, wife of Jesse Duplantis. And the name of the message is Beware of the Dream Killers. Beware of the Dream Killers. And it's it's so, so shallow. It's so, she trivializes uh, so many things here that we ought not to trivialize. And as a result of it, what she's doing here is actually the work of Satan, while at the same time warning the people at this so-called church uh, about Satan, you know, and and his schemes and stuff like this. It's it's mind-boggling what we're going to be listening to, and the irony scale will be like on you know a scale of you know one to ten, it'll be a twelve. So, all that being said, gird up your loins. <laughs> We're going in. Here we go. Well, uh, because Jesse gave me that instruction about telling you about the dream and how he said that when he's coming here next week, next next Sunday, he wants you to write down the dreams that you're believing for in 2024 so we can give God a job. The Lord put... <sighs> what, what did she... <laughs> I, I, I feel a migraine headache coming on. What did she just say? say we, we, we need to have a dream so we can give God a job in 2024. Are you kidding me? I, you're, you're going to give God a job. 
holy smokes. I mean, the my blasphemy meter just blew out. I, I it, it short-circuited because it, it pinned the needle so far over, it couldn't go any farther and it needed to go all the way around. Holy smokes. Listen to that again. This is unbelievable. About telling you about the dream and how he said that when he's coming here next week, next next Sunday, he wants you to write down the dreams that you're believing for in 2024 so we can give God a job. The Lord put this message on my heart. This is a message I preached. And I- All right. And the Lord put this message on her heart. No, 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 what she said. She said it so quickly. But that means, you know, that this message is exalted high above every other sermon because God put this message on her heart. Did he now? Did, really? He he put this message on your heart? We're going to test that. And uh, because if God really put this message on your heart, which is a gross place, you know, the heart is sinful and wicked and, and things like this, I wouldn't want anything that's touched someone's heart. Uh <laughs> But the thing is, is that she says that God put this on her heart, so we, we better pay attention to this message. But that this almost rises to the level of prophecy. So if she's twisting up God's word, evacuating it of its meaning, and trivializing things that ought not to be trivialized, then we can most certainly say God did not put this message on her heart. I, I, what are we like? Twenty seconds into this, let's let's continue. That when he's here. coming here next week, next next Sunday, he wants you to write down the dreams that you're believing for in 2024, so we can give God a job. The Lord put this message on my heart. This is a message I preached, and I had something else kind of I was thinking about, but I will continue the the, the message series in Romans later. But that's not the first of the year is not the time for that. But I will pick it up the next time I preach. But today, the Lord wants me to teach on uh, a message that I preached many years ago, and it's called. So the Lord wants her to preach on this. Really? I don't think so. I've listened to this message. Um, no. It's just, let's just say that God definitely did not want her to preach what she's preaching. And on top of it, a woman preaching in church, that's forbidden by Scripture. So God doesn't even want her doing what she's doing. So we continue. Beware of the dream killers. All right. So her message is beware of the dream killers. Groan of oh, good night. Talk about trivializing things. L- listen to what she does next. Hallelujah. So this is going to be a, a message that well, I think will help you and prepare you ahead to believe God for your dreams because there are things that comes in to try to, to rob you of that. But we're going to take a... Uh... Which biblical text says that there are things that are going to come into our lives to rob us of our dreams? I can't think of a single biblical text that says such a thing. Um, in order for a doctrine to be biblical, you have to actually find that doctrine, you know, in the Bible. I mean, it seems kind of self-explanatory. If it's not in the Bible, it's not biblical. Uh, I can't remember a single biblical text that teaches that we need to guard some dream that God is giving us and that the devil's going to come along and try to snatch that dream or destroy that dream. No biblical text says this. This is not a biblical doctrine. This is not a biblical sermon. Hit on that. We're going to reveal that in the beginning so that we can stand strong and receive everything that God has placed in our heart. Amen. Amen. Have you ever shared your dream with the wrong person? <laughs> you know, just thinking about it sometimes. Sometimes I made the mistake of telling people what was I was planning for, believing for. I can see their faces even. 
Yeah, like a new Gulfstream jet or something like that, you know, her and her husband. Uh -huh. Now, but I mean, so all of us have probably done that at one type or another, but uh, although they may not realize it, they were a dream killer. They were being used by the devil to rob God's promise from your heart and stop the fulfillment. So, so you shared your dream with somebody and they weren't really keen on it. And so they were used by the devil to be a dream killer. Which biblical texts say this? I don't know any texts that say this. This is, this is a narrative and a theology that is completely foreign to the Bible. This isn't even Christianity. This is a different religion. Fulfillment of your dream. That's why you need to become wise to the works of the devil. That doesn't say the person was the devil. Just sometimes they say things without thinking. They didn't realize that they're being just thinking in the natural and, and, and really working with the devil to destroy what God called you to do. But we. <sighs> Who's going to tell her? You know, maybe I should tell her. You know, uh, the devil's not interested in killing your dreams, the devil's interested in killing you. Uh, you, you, believe me, your dreams are the least of, of Satan's targets. What he wants to do is drag your carcass into hell. Um, do you even know who the devil is and what we're up against? So uh, first part of our Bible study today will now ensue. All right. So let's do a little bit of work here. Okay. Um, have you considered the nature of the devil? There are two texts in the Old Testament that really legitimately stand out as far as, um, you know, it, it, giving us a background story regarding who Satan is. And I, I got to note this. I'm fully aware of that cartoon series that's recently out that, that basically is trying to tell the story of Satan as if he's the victim. Believe me, that that is not the case at all. That's some kind of a Gnostic pipe dream. But uh, you want to know what the devil is really like, then we will take a look at a couple of passages. So Isaiah 14 is one of them. And there's an interesting thing that occurs in both Isaiah and Ezekiel. And that is, is that God is having you know, in each, in each case, each of these prophets prophesy against a particular king or a kingdom. And in the midst of that prophecy or lament against that king or kingdom, all of a sudden the subject changes. And now we're full on talking about the devil. And, and, what, and, and what God is doing is kind of overlaying Satan's narrative over the narrative of that kingdom or that uh, or that king it's really interesting so in isaiah 14 in this taunt against the king of babylon in the middle of that thing all of a sudden the subject changes which is a fascinating thing and here's what it says starting at verse 12 how you are fallen from heaven o day star son of the dawn how you are cut down to the ground you who laid low the nations you said in your heart, I will ascend above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Uh, this is the origin of narcissism. It comes from Satan. He was the original narcissist. And what does he want to do? Dethrone God and take his place. So the text goes on, says, But you are brought down to shale to the farthest reaches of the pit. 
Um, yeah, the, that's the fate of Satan right there. Similar text is found in Ezekiel 28. In this lament against the king of Tyre, um, all of a sudden God changes the subject again and we get a little bit more of the backstory of Satan. This is Ezekiel 28 in verse 12. You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Yeah, we're talking about Satan here. Every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you, and you were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day that you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God. I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast on their, their eyes on you. Mm. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuary. So I brought fire out from the midst and it consumed you. I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. So you get the idea here. This is a little bit of the backstory of Satan, and it's an overlay. Uh, the first one's an overlay on uh, on the, and the king of Babylon and the kingdom of Babylon, and here this one's the king of Tyre. Very fascinating stuff when you read this, and it gives us a, a really good idea of what the devil is really all about. And I would note, you want to see a little further what a sick puppy Satan is, so completely obsessed with his own self. Uh, in the, the temptation that Christ faces in the wilderness after he'd been baptized, if you remember in Matthew chapter 3, uh, Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. And says Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have been prevented him saying, I, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? <clears throat> but Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. So then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a, vo a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You'll note that Satan has this uh, uh, standard attack. He attacks the word of God. So Matthew 4 then continues, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And he answered, as written, man will not, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against 
against a stone. So you'll you'll note Satan's going after that word of God, that voice from heaven that said to Jesus, you are my beloved son. If you are the son of God, prove it, prove it, prove it. You, you, you shouldn't you shouldn't be so uh, you know so sure that that's the case, Jesus. You, you need to test to see whether or not that's really the word of God. And and Jesus completely combats the devil in weakness with just the word of God. That's what he uses. But then take a look at this last part. Jesus and Jesus said to him, again, as written, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. So the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Wait, what? That shows you just how absolutely narcissistically obsessed with himself Satan is. He wants his creator to worship him? Are you kidding me? That, that's just sick. I mean, what kind of demented being are we dealing with here? That's what we're dealing with, a, a being who is so obsessed with himself that he would, he, he demands, he's tempting his own creator, Jesus Christ, the son of God in human flesh, to bow down and worship him? Huh. And Jesus said, be gone, Satan. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So th- th- those are some uh, it gives us an idea of just how sick Satan is. I would remind you then in Genesis chapter three, um, th- what's going on here? Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And I would note if you if, if we go to like Revelation maybe like thirteen. Let me see if I can do this real quick. If we were to go to Revelation thirteen, um, yeah. Uh, you know, I, actually, I think it's in 12. I think it is actually in 12 that you, you're going to note that um, the Satan, the dragon is the dragon and serpent are used synonymously in the book of Revelation. It, like, so, for instance, in Revelation 12, 7, now war rose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan. So in the book of Revelation, you'll note that Satan shows up in the form of a serpent, but he can walk. And uh, and so the idea here is, is that a serpent with legs and wings is called a dragon. So keep this in mind. Serpent and dragon are interchangeable uh, in the book of Revelation, in, in, in Revelation 12. So what we're dealing with here is not some slithering snake. Uh, we're, we're legitimately dealing with a dragon who's so obsessed narcissistically with himself. What is he, what is he trying to do? He's trying to murder humanity. In fact, let me see if let me see if I can find this text real quick. Uh, murderer is the text I'm going to be looking for. Murderer. That's the that's the word. And I want to find it. Um, hang on a second here. It's not going to find it there. I want it in the Gospels. It's in the Gospel of John. Yeah, listen to this. Okay. 
Um, Jesus rebuking the people who weren't believing in him and who were fighting against him in John chapter 8 says to them, if God were your father, you'd love me. I came from God. I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what, what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Here, you'll know from the beginning, that's referring to what? The opening verse of scripture, Bereshit bara Elohim Bereshit is in the beginning. And so you'll note that Christ is saying that Satan was a murderer from the beginning, referring all the way back to the Garden of Eden, which tells us then what Satan's uh, ultimate primary goal, his objective was, and his goal was the murder of humanity. That's what's the, that's what's going on in the Garden of Eden, the attempted murder of humanity who's been made in the image of God. And the devil knows full well, God told Adam that, that you, know, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And so what Satan is up to here in the garden is the attempted murder of humanity and to make God the murderer weapon. That's how sick Satan is. So here, here's what it says then. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Let me give you a slightly different paraphrase of this so you can kind of get the gist of what Satan's doing, because what he's doing is attacking the character of God here. And so watch what he, listen to how the paraphrase works. Is it true, honey? He's not letting you eat? Oh, I I knew he was awful, but I cannot believe that he created you human beings and he's not even allowing you to eat anything. That's that's like legitimately what's going on. There's an impugning of God's character. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said, whoa, 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 whoa. We, we, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, that's the last part, neither shall you touch it lest you die, was not actually what God said. But you know, she's she's in the ballpark here. She knows she's not supposed to eat of it. But watch where Satan goes next. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. And by saying that, Satan is very clearly inferring God is a liar. Okay? You will not die. I know he told you you're going to die. But no, 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 no. You're not going to die. Okay? God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God knowing good and evil. You see, God is, is he's, he's, he's really small thinker. He's trying to keep you from achieving your divine potential. He's holding you back. He's threatened by what you could become. That's the idea here, right? So no, Satan's like a one trick pony and everything has to do with attacking the word of God. And then you know, basically exalting, helping people exalt themselves in their own mind to some kind of a little deity status. It, it, it just like himself. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, all of these are feelings, by the way, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This is what th- plunged us into the absolute misery and suffering that we're experiencing in this lifetime. It's this rebellion against God 
that Satan enlisted us into. Next text here. Okay. Again, we're not trivializing Satan at this point. We're taking a sober look at what the scriptures reveal regarding our enemy. Uh, he attempted the murder of humanity in the Garden of Eden, and he's not content to leave us alone. Uh, believe me, he's not, a te- he's not after your dreams. He's after you. So the text then, we're going to look at it. We're going to look at more of Revelation 12. It says this, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head was a crown of 12 stars. This, by the way, is a reference to one of Joseph's dreams. This is not a reference to the Virgin Mary. Sorry for those of you in Roman Catholicism. Do your homework. This is not a reference to the Virgin Mary. Go back to the book of Genesis, into the dreams that Joseph had. This is a, This is basically referring to that and it is a prophecy then if or a revelation regarding the old testament and i have to use a word that seems out of context the old testament church okay now the the believers in the old testament were never referred to as the church but the idea here is is that this is about those people of the old testament who were the believers in the in the promise of the messiah who would still come so the church is is used you know idiosyncratically for sure, but the idea here is you're, this is referring to the believers of the Old Testament. She was pregnant, was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns on its head, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars in heaven and cast them to the earth. Uh, the general consensus here is, is that this tells us a little bit more about the backstory of Satan. That when Satan decided he was going to rebel against God and try to dethrone God, he convinced one third of the angels of heaven to join in the rebellion. A third. And it's it's absolutely terrifying when you consider what 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 their what their goal was, the dethroning of our good and gracious, merciful, kind. God. That was the attempt. It's a war. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, the one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. You know, Christ is ascended. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Again, now now the Old Testament church becomes the New Testament church. That's kind of the imagery here. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Satan knows his time is short. Do you think that he's going to focus on destroying your dreams? No. He's going to focus on destroying 
you. That's where the text then goes. So when the dragon saw that he'd been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from its mouth. And then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. That that's us Christians on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So Satan is making war against Christians, not their dreams. And so you get the idea here. Peter warning us says this, humble yourselves, this is 1 Peter chapter 5, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time that he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. No, he, he's seeking humans to devour, you, you Christians, to devour. He's not there to devour your dreams. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Hmm. So we, we got a big problem here. And uh, the part and parcel of this big problem is that Kathy Duplantis has basically turned Satan into the big adversary of your dreams. Are you kidding me? Anybody who's, who's believing this, they're already in the dragon's mouth. All he has to do is close and swallow because they aren't recognizing who their great enemy is, the great enemy that Christ defeated by his victorious death on the cross and his victorious resurrection from the grave on the third day after he was crucified. But um, I'm getting ahead of myself. So uh, let's come back to Kathy Duplantis. So, um, so apparently, you know, Satan isn't after you. He's after your dreams. Yeah. And, and, and people who, who are not on board with the dreams that apparently God has placed on your heart, they're doing the devil's work. Yeah, listen again. Here we go. Promise from your heart and stop the fulfillment of your dream. That's why you need to become wise to the works of the devil. That doesn't say the person was the devil. Just sometimes they say things without thinking. They didn't realize that they're being just thinking in the natural and, and, and really working with the devil to destroy what God called you to do. But we need to realize that God has a great plan for our lives and realize that dreams never have an expiration date. <laughs> Which biblical text says these things? God has a big plan for our lives and dreams never have an expiration date? What are you talking about? And God has never given up on your dreams, so neither should you. If he uh, which biblical text says that God hasn't given up on my dream? I, 
I mean, when I was a kid, I mean, I was really into military jets. I wanted to be a fighter pilot. Um, I'm pretty sure that the United States Navy would not be interested in me signing up to become a fighter pilot now. Uh, that that dream's dead and it ain't coming back. <laughs> and and to, with, to which I say, thank God. Okay, you know, I like the good works that God has prepared in advance for me to do. I thought those are wonderful. But uh, um, yeah, no, uh, lady, I, the, my dream when I was 13 years old of being a fighter pilot, uh, those days are gone. gone just, it, that dream's dead. It ain't coming back. And no, Satan isn't the one who destroyed it. He gave you your dream, he's still expecting you to see that thing come to pass. Even if your dream's been aborted, God is ready to resurrect it and breathe life into it once again. Um, um, nowhere in scripture does it say that God is ready to resurrect dead dreams. I would note that like 1 Corinthians 15 makes it very clear that God, is, his intent is to resurrect Christians. Yeah, you know, and give them eternal life. Yeah, just, just saying. So you're going to note here, she's completely trivialized these biblical concepts and trivialized the devil and what the devil's really about. And as a result of it, these people are completely under the spell of the devil. It's the irony's crazy. And amen. Come on, can I see a hand in the house? This is for you today. You must become wise to the works of the devil and be aware of his tactics. No matter how unbelievable your dreams may seem to others, you need to realize today that this is your time to receive your dream. Is it now? And which biblical text says that? Hmm? Uh, there isn't a single biblical text that even hints at something like this. This is a complete pipe dream. This is a different religion. None of this is biblical. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 55. Now, this is where it's going to get really interesting. We're returning to Isaiah 55, okay? She is going to carefully navigate through this text in order to avoid the thorny bits that, are, that, that would potentially alert people to the fact that she's not rightly handling God's word and she's dealing from the bottom of the deck. Watch this. Isaiah 55, it's time to get stirred up and believe everything that God wants you to accomplish in your life. You know, other people may not be stirred up about your dream, but you need to be stirred up about your dream. Just because you're yelling it doesn't make it true, lady. You can't depend upon them to stir you up. You're going to need to stir up your own self at some point. Begin to say it and declare it and speak it, write it down, look at it and look up scriptures that confirm it and stand and see it come to pass. Amen. See what come to pass? What are you talking about? You can walk in divine healing and prosperity. Says which text? Your loved ones can be saved. Love can be restored to your home. It, well, I agree. Our loved ones can be saved, but they wouldn't be saved if they were attending your church. You may have a dream of owning your own business or, and it's yet to be fulfilled. Don't give up on that. It may be that God's placed a call to ministry on your life and it's still in that dream stage. That's an important... Where in the scripture does it talk about dream stages? Important part of it. You, sometimes you need to spend time thinking and meditating and dreaming on it before the man. In fact, you need to before if you'll ever see it happen. You need to spend time. I, I, if I want to see things happen, I got to I got to go through the dream stage. Says which biblical text again? I'm thinking and dreaming about that. So regardless of what's in your heart, God desires you to attain every promise in his word so that your dreams can be fulfilled. Isaiah. 
Again, biblical text, please. Back any of these assertions up with just a clear text. And now she's going to go to Isaiah 55. Watch what she does with this. It's sneaky. But man, Isaiah 55 is a great text, by the way. Can't wait to show you the rest of it. Isaiah chapter 55, are you there yet? Let's read verse 8 through 11. Why aren't you reading earlier in the text? Why aren't you reading a little bit past that? Because Isaiah 55, such a good text for, for Christians. You'll see here in a second here. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Amen, yeah. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Hear, hear. God's thoughts are definitely higher than ours and different. True. These are true words. True and wholesome words from God. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Listen to this. So shall my word that, be, that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall... Right. God's word doesn't return to him void. It, it accomplishes the thing for which he sent it. Um... What makes you think that this is talking about your dreams? It's not, by the way. Not returning to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. This passage of scripture in this, the prophet Isaiah compared God's way of operation to a seed. And God. What? Wanted us to understand how he operates. What? <laughs> so we're, we're reading Isaiah 55 to say, well, this is how God operates. You are aware that God's using metaphors here, right? <laughs> All right, let me, let me show you what this text means, because it's awesome. I mean, oh, this is such a good text. All right, so Isaiah 55, we're going to back up a little bit in the context, because when you see the context of, of this portion of Isaiah 55 in its, in its entirety, Wow, is it a zinger, okay? So here, here's where here's what she left off. Verses six and seven, which are part of this group here in Isaiah 55. Seek Yahweh while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to Yahweh that he may have compassion on him and that our God and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. First part of this is what? A call to repentance. Abandon, forsake your wickedness. Return to the Lord your God. He will have compassion on you and forgive you of your sins. He will abundantly pardon you. So note, this is a call to repentance. That's why verse 8 begins with, for, mm -hmm, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, my and my neither are my ways your ways, declares Yahweh. In other words, your thoughts and your ways are, are the problem here. This is the wickedness that you need to forsake, the unrighteous thoughts that you need to abandon. <laughs> she, didn't she didn't exegete that. She's just basically saying, well, God is talking about a principle about how things work in the kingdom here. This is a call to repentance and to be forgiven by God. And we're forgiven because Christ has bled and died for every one of our sins and suffered the wrath of God in our place. But I continue because the text even gets better. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declare the Lord, declares Yahweh. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways 
higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. True, okay? Then he goes on. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. You're going to note here, the word of God is not compared to a seed in Isaiah 55. The word of God is compared to rain or snow, right? For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. So here, God's word is being referred to like rain or snow. It doesn't return to him empty, but it shall accomplish that for which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. But then watch this. There's no transition between that thought and then verse 12, which then says this, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle and it shall make a name for Yahweh, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. So you'll note here, with no transition, we are immediately seeing what God's word accomplishes. And you'll note, you will go out and joy. This is talking about Christians, believers in Yahweh, who are then experiencing the joys of the new earth, which means this, this is where it gets fun, that God's word doesn't return to him empty, which means with the next part of the context here, it doesn't return empty because God's word was sent to accomplish what? Your salvation, to bring you into the joys of the new heavens and new earth. God's word doesn't return empty because it collects you up and brings you back to him. It's so good. Oh, man. This is, this is like one of my favorite texts in all the world. And she just completely just bongled it. Oh, man. But I, 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 let me give you another text here. A thesis statement of the scripture. John chapter 20, starting at verse 30. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. These things, these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. That's a beautiful cross-reference to Isaiah 55. God sends forth his word. It doesn't return to him void. It accomplishes the thing for which he sent it, which is your repentance, your trust and faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and ultimately you being returned to God and being able to experience the joys of heaven and the new earth. God's word does not return to him empty. It brings you with him. It brings you with it. That's the point. And the fact that she, she's, uh, it's painful listening to what this woman is doing. Absolutely painful. But, you know, it, it, uh, let me just tell you, this sermon of hers doesn't get any better. It just gets worse. 
And so you'll note that that the metaphor in Isaiah 55, the word is, of God is compared to rain, not to seed. So let me back this up a little so bit. Then you can see that what she's doing here is twisting this text. My word that, be, that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. This passage of scripture in this, the prophet Isaiah compared God's way of operation to a seed. No, he didn't. He compared God's word to rain or, or snow. And the snow bit is actually kind of helpful too. Have you ever preached the gospel to somebody and um, they didn't believe? And you, 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 went to, you, you left that conversation concerned. You left that conversation worried for their salvation, worried for the, their future. Um, note then that if you actually preach the gospel to them, that that you have brought the rain or the snow of God's word. And if you were to think of God's word like snow in this context, um, sometimes bringing the snow is a great thing. And so that snow will sit there uh, and remain in its frosty state until God causes a, a, a warm air to blow on it and then it'll become water and it'll accomplish its thing. So we talk about, you know, think, think like that, you know, you preach the word, you preach the gospel, uh, God's word will accomplish it, what it's, what he sent it for. So keep praying that God will protect that word. And so in Isaiah 55, it's likened to snow and rain, but in other places it is definitely likened to seed. But the point is what this woman is doing is absolute violence to the text. And she's completely trivialized Satan and what his real goal and intent is. And she's filling these people's heads with complete and utter nonsense, scratching, itching ears for sure, telling people what they want to hear rather than telling them what they need to hear. It's tragic beyond all tragedies. So hopefully you found this helpful. If so, all the information on how you can share the video is down below in our description. And of course, if, if you, uh, I'd like to give a quick shout out to those of you who support us financially. You make it possible for us to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. Thank you for your support and, and trusting us with your resources so that we can continue to get the word out and warn people about the false teachers and show them the great teachings of what God's word really legitimately says. So without your help, we couldn't be doing what we're doing. If you'd like to join our crew, there's a link below that will take you to our website where you can join our crew and su support us with a nominal monthly uh, donation, which makes it possible for us to pay our bills and keep doing what we're doing. So until next time, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. So nice to see that you've made it to the end. Before you inevitably click on another video to continue binging our glorious content, you should know about some of our other offerings. First off, some of you may know that our pirate captain is also the pastor of Kongsvinger Lutheran Church out in Oslo, Minnesota. The editor, that I totally don't have locked in my basement, produces audio and video versions of Kongsvinger sermons and Sunday schools weekly. So go check out kongsvingerchurch.org to see all of our offerings. Now, to address some of the frequently asked questions we get in the comments. <clears throat> One, the Bible and video editing software we use are named and linked in the description down below. Two, if you wish to donate to us directly so that we can keep the lights on, go check out www.piratechristian.com and hit the crew tab. 
We don't promise miraculous healings or a double increase in your finances, but what we do promise is more quality discernment from our studio into your ear holes. And three. How do you tie up with boxing gloves? Okay, who's the wiseacre who put this in here? 